Chapter Fourteen of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Having the misfortune to treat of none but common people, it is necessarily of a mean and vulgar character. In that quarter of London in which Golden Square is situated, there is a bygone, faded, tumble-down street, with two irregular rows of tall, meagre houses, which seem to have stared each other out of countenance years ago. The very chimneys appear to have grown dismal and melancholy, from having had nothing better to look at than the chimneys over the way. Their tops are battered and broken, and blackened with smoke, and here and there some taller stack than the rest, inclining heavily to one side, and toppling over the roof, seems to meditate taking revenge for half a century's neglect by crushing the inhabitants of the garrets beneath. The fowls who peck about the kennels, jerking their bodies hither and thither, with a gait which none but town fowls are ever seen to adopt, and which any country cock or hen would be puzzled to understand, are perfectly in keeping with the crazy habitations of their owners, dingy, ill-plumed, drowsy flutterers sent like many of the neighbouring children to get a livelihood in the streets. They hop from stone to stone in forlorn search of some hidden eatable in the mud, and can scarcely raise a crow among them. The only one with anything approaching to a voice is an aged bantam at the baker's, and even he is hoarse in consequence of bad living in his last place. To judge from the size of the houses, they have been at one time tenanted by persons of better condition than their present occupants, but they are now let off by the week in floors or rooms, and every door has almost as many plates or bell-handles as there are apartments within. The windows are, for the same reason, sufficiently diversified in appearance, being ornamented with every variety of common blind and curtain that can easily be imagined while every doorway is blocked up and rendered nearly impassable by a motley collection of children and porter-pots of all sizes, from the baby-in-arms and the half-pint pot to the full-grown girl and half-gallon can. In the parlour of one of these houses, which was perhaps a thought dirtier than any of its neighbours, which exhibited more bell-handles, children and porter-pots, and caught in all its freshness the first gust of the thick black smoke that poured forth, night and day from a large brewery hard by hung a bill announcing that there was yet one room to let within its walls though on what story the vacant room could be regard being had to the outward tokens of many lodgers which the whole front displayed from the mangle in the kitchen window to the flower-pots on the parapet it would have been beyond the power of a calculating boy to discover the common stairs of this mansion were bare and carpetless but a curious visitor who had to climb his way to the top might have observed that there were not wanting indications of the progressive poverty of the inmates, although their rooms were shut. Thus the first-floor lodgers, being flush of furniture, kept an old mahogany table, real mahogany, on the landing-place outside, which was only taken in when occasion required. On the second story the spare furniture dwindled down to a couple of old deal chairs of which one belonging to the back room was shorn of a leg and bottomless the story above boasted no greater excess than a worm-eaten wash-tub 
and the garret landing-place displayed no costlier articles than two crippled pitchers and some broken blacking bottles it was on this garret landing-place that a hard-featured square-faced man elderly and shabby stopped to unlock the door of the front attic into which having surmounted the task of turning the rusty key and its still more rusty wards he walked in with the air of a legal owner this person wore a wig of short coarse red hair which he took off with his hat and hung upon a nail having adopted in its place a dirty cotton nightcap and groped about in the dark till he found a remnant of candle he knocked at the partition which divided the two garrets and inquired in a loud voice whether mr noggs had a light the sound that came back was stifled by the lath and plaster and it seemed moreover as though the speaker had uttered them from the interior of a mug or other drinking vessel but they were in the voice of newman and they conveyed a reply in the affirmative a nasty night mr noggs said the man in the nightcap stepping in to light his candle does it rain asked newman does it replied the other pettishly i am wet through it doesn't take much to wet you and me through mr crowl said newman laying his hand upon the lapel of his threadbare coat well and that makes it the more vexatious observed mr crowl in the same pettish tone uttering a low querulous growl the speaker whose harsh countenance was the very epitome of selfishness raked the scanty fire nearly out of the grate and emptying the glass which noggs had pushed toward him inquired where he kept his coals newman noggs pointed to the bottom of a cupboard and mr crowl seizing the shovel threw on half the stock which noggs very deliberately took off again without saying a word you have not turned saving at this time of day i hope said crowl newman pointed to the empty glass as though it were a sufficient refutation of the charge and briefly said that he was going downstairs to supper the kenwigses asked crowl newman nodded assent think of that now said crowl if i didn't thinking that you were certain not to go because you said you wouldn't tell kenwigs i couldn't come and make up my mind to spend the evening with you i was obliged to go said newman they would have me well but what's to become of me urged the selfish man who never thought of anybody else it's all your fault i tell you what i'll sit by your fire till you come back again newman cast a despairing glance at his small store of fuel but not having the courage to say no a word in which all his life he never had said at the right time either to himself or any one else gave way to the proposed arrangement mr crowl immediately went about making himself as comfortable with newman noggs's means as circumstances would admit of his being made the lodgers to whom crawl had made allusion under the designation of the kenwigses were the wife and olive branches of one of mr kenwigs a turner in ivory who was looked upon as a person of some consideration on the premises inasmuch as he occupied the whole of the first floor comprising of a suite of two rooms mrs kenwigs too was quite a lady in her manners and of a very genteel family having an uncle who collected a water rate besides which distinction the two eldest of her little girls went twice a week to dancing school in the neighbourhood and had flaxen hair tied with blue ribbons hanging in luxuriant pigtails down their backs and wore little white trousers with frills around the ankles for all of which reasons and many more equally valid but too numerous to mention mrs kenwigs was considered a very desirable person to know and was the constant theme of all the gossips in the street and even three or four doors round the corner at both ends 
It was the anniversary of the happy day on which the Church of England, as by law established, had bestowed Mrs. Kenwigs upon Mr. Kenwigs, and in grateful commemoration of the same, Mrs. Kenwigs had invited a few select friends to cards, and a supper on the first floor, and had put on a new gown to receive them, which gown, being of a flaming colour, and made upon a juvenile principle, was so successful that Mr. Kenwigs said the eight years of matrimony and the five children seemed all a dream, and Mrs. Kenwigs, younger and more blooming than on the very first Sunday, he had kept company with her. Beautiful as Mrs. Kenwigs looked when she was dressed, though, and so stately that you would have supposed she had a cook and a housemaid at least, and nothing to do but order them about, she had a world of trouble with the preparations, more, indeed, than she, being of a delicate and genteel constitution, could have sustained, had not the pride of housewifery upheld her. At last, however, all the things that had to be got together were got together, and all the things that had to be got out of the way were got out of the way, and everything was ready, and the collector himself having promised to come, fortune smiled upon the occasion. The party was admirably selected. There were, first of all, Mr. Kenwigs and Mrs. Kenwigs, and four olive Kenwigses who sat up to supper, firstly because it was but right that they should have such a treat on such a day, and secondly because their going to bed, in presence of the company, would have been inconvenient, not to say improper. Then there was a young lady who had made Mrs. Kenwigs dress, and who, it was the most convenient thing in the world, living in the two-pair back, gave up her bed to the baby, and got a little girl to watch it. Then, to match this young lady, there was a young man, who had known Mr. Kenwigs when he was a bachelor, and was much esteemed by the ladies as bearing the reputation of a rake. To these were added a newly married couple, who had visited Mr. and Mrs. Kenwigs in their courtship, and a sister of Mrs. Kenwigs, who was quite a beauty, besides whom there was another young man, supposed to entertain honourable designs upon the lady last mentioned, and Mr. Noggs, who was a genteel person to ask, because he had been a gentleman once. There were also an elderly lady from the back parlour, and one more young lady, who, next to the collector, perhaps was the great lion of the party, being the daughter of a theatrical fireman, who went on in the pantomime, and had the greatest fun for the stage that was ever known, being able to sing and recite in a manner that brought the tears to Mrs. Kenwig's eyes. There was only one drawback upon the pleasure of seeing such friends, and that was that the lady in the back parlour, who was very fat, and turned of sixty, came in a low-book muslin dress and short kid gloves, which so exasperated Mrs. Kenwigs that the lady assured her visitors, in private, that if it hadn't happened that the supper was cooking in the back parlour grate at that moment, she certainly would have requested its representative to withdraw. "'My dear,' said Mr. Kenwigs, wouldn't it be better to begin a round game? Kenwigs, my dear, returned his wife, I'm surprised at you. Would you begin without my uncle? I forgot the collector, said Kenwigs. Oh, no, that would never do. He is so particular, said Mrs. Kenwigs, turning to the other married lady, that if we began without him, I should be out of his will forever. Dear, cried the married lady, you have no idea what he is, replied Mrs. Kenwigs, and yet as good a creature as ever breathed. "'The kindest-hearted man that ever was,' said Kenwigs. "'It goes to his heart, I believe, to be forced to cut the water off "'when the people don't pay,' observed the bachelor friend, intending a joke. 
"'George,' said Mr. Kenwig solemnly, "'none of that, if you please.' "'It was only my joke,' said the friend, abashed. "'George,' rejoined Mr. Kenwigs, "'a joke is a very good thing, a very good thing. "'But when that joke is made at the expense of Mrs. Kenwigs' feelings, "'I set my face against it. "'A man in public life expects to be sneered at. "'It is the fault of his elevated position, and not of himself. "'Mrs. Kenwigs' relation is a public man, and that he knows, George, "'and that he can bear, but putting Mrs. Kenwigs out of the question, "'if I could put Mrs. Kenwigs out of the question,' on such an occasion as this i have the honour to be connected with the collector by marriage and i cannot allow these remarks in my mr kenwigs was going to say house but he rounded the sentence with apartments at the conclusion of these observations which drew forth evidences of acute feeling from mrs kenwigs and had the intended effect of impressing the company with a deep sense of the collector's dignity a ring was heard at the bell that's him whispered mr kenwigs greatly excited morlina my dear run down and let your uncle in and kiss him directly you get the door hum let's be talking adopting mr kenwigs suggestion the company spoke very loudly to look easy and unembarrassed and almost as soon as they had begun to do so a short old gentleman in drabs and gaiters with a face that might have been carved out of lignum vitae for anything that appeared to the contrary was led playfully in by Miss Morlina Kenwigs, regarding whose uncommon Christian name it may be here remarked that it had been invented and composed by Mrs. Kenwigs previous to her first lying in for the special distinction of her eldest child, in case it should prove a daughter. "'Oh, Uncle, I'm so glad to see you,' said Mrs. Kenwigs, kissing the collector affectionately on both cheeks. "'So glad!' "'Many happy returns of the day, my dear,' replied the collector, returning the compliment. Now this was an interesting thing. Here was a collector of water rates without his book, without his pen and ink, without his double knock, without his intimidation, kissing, actually kissing an agreeable female, and leaving taxes, summonses, notices that he had called, or announcements that he would never call again, for two quarters due wholly out of the question. It was pleasant to see how the company looked on, quite absorbed in the sight, and to behold the nods and winks which they expressed their gratification at finding so much humanity in a tax-gatherer. "'Where will you sit, uncle?' said Mrs. Kenwigs, in the full glow of family pride, which the appearance of her distinguished relation occasioned. "'Anywhere is my dear,' said the collector. "'I'm not particular.' "'Not particular! What a meek collector! If he had been an author who knew his place, he couldn't have been more humble.' mr lillyvick said kenwigs addressing the collector some friends here sir are very anxious for the honour of thank you mr and mrs cutler mr lillyvick proud to know you sir said mr cutler i've heard of you very often these were not mere words of ceremony for mr cutler having kept house in mr lillyvick's parish have heard of him very often indeed his attention in calling had been quite extraordinary George, you know, I think, Mr. Lillyvick, said Kenwigs, lady from downstairs, Mr. Lillyvick, Mr. Snooks, Mr. Lillyvick, Miss Green, Mr. Lillyvick, Mr. Lillyvick, Miss Patoka of the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Very glad to make two public characters acquainted. Mrs. Kenwigs, my dear, will you sort the counters? Mrs. Kenwigs, with the assistance of Newman Noggs, who, as he performed sundry little acts of kindness for the children, at all times and seasons was humoured in his request to be taken no notice of and was merely spoken about in a whisper as the decayed gentleman did as he was desired 
and the greater part of the guests sat down to speculation, while Newman himself, Mrs. Kenwigs, and Miss Patoker of the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, looked after the supper-table. While the ladies were thus busying themselves, Mr. Lillyvick was intent upon the game in progress, and as all should be fish that comes to a water-collector's net, the dear old gentleman was by no means scrupulous in appropriating himself the property of his neighbours, which, on the contrary, he abstracted whenever an opportunity presented itself, smiling good-humouredly all the while, and making so many condescending speeches to the owners that they were delighted with his amiability, and thought in their hearts that he deserved to be Chancellor of the Exchequer at least. After a great deal of trouble, and the administration of many slaps on the head to the infant Kenwigses, whereof two of the most rebellious were summarily banished, the cloth was laid with much elegance, and a pair of boiled fowls, a large piece of pork, apple pie, potatoes and greens were served, at sight of which the worthy Mr. Lillyvick vented a great many witticisms, and plucked up amazingly, to the immense delight and satisfaction of the whole body of admirers. Very well and very fast the supper went off, no more serious difficulties occurring than those which arose from the incessant demand for clean knives and forks, which made poor Mrs. Kenwigs wish more than once that private society adopted the principle of schools, and required that every guest should bring his own knife, fork and spoon, which doubtless would be a great accommodation in many cases, and to no one more so than to the lady and gentleman of the house, especially if the school principle were carried out to the full extent, and the articles were expected, as a matter of delicacy, not to be taken away again. Everybody having eaten everything, the table was cleared in a most alarming hurry, and with great noise, and the spirits whereat the eyes of Newman Noggs glistened, being arranged in order, with water both hot and cold, the party composed themselves for conviviality. Mr. Lillyvick being stationed in a large armchair by the fireside, and the four little Kenwigses disposed on a small form in front of the company, with their flaxen tails towards them and their faces to the fire, an arrangement which was no sooner perfected than Mrs. Kenwigs was overpowered by the feelings of a mother, and fell upon the left shoulder of Mr. Kenwigs, dissolved in tears. "'They are so beautiful,' said Mrs. Kenwigs, sobbing. "'Oh, dear,' said all the ladies, "'so they are. It's very natural you should feel proud of that. But don't give way, don't. I can not help it, and it don't signify,' sobbed Mrs. Kenwigs. "'Oh, they're too beautiful to live.' much too beautiful. On hearing this alarming presentiment of their being doomed to an early death in the flower of their infancy, all four little girls raised a hideous cry, and burying their heads in their mother's lap, simultaneously screamed until the eight flaxen tails vibrated again, Mrs. Kenwigs, meanwhile, clasping them alternatively to her bosom, with attitudes expressive of distraction, which Miss Patoka herself might have copied. At length the anxious mother permitted herself to be soothed into a more tranquil state, and the little Kenwigses, being also composed, were distributed among the company, to prevent the possibility of Mrs. Kenwigs again being overcome by the blaze of their combined beauty. This done, the ladies and gentlemen united in prophesying that they would live for many, many years, and there was no occasion at all for Mrs. Kenwigs to distress herself, which in good truth there did not appear to be the loveliness of the children by no means justifying her apprehensions. 
this day eight years said mr kenwigs after a pause dear me ah this reflection was echoed by all present who said ah first and then dear me afterwards i was younger then tittered mrs kenwigs no said the collector certainly not added everybody i remember my niece said mr lillyvick surveying his audience with a grave air i remember her on that very afternoon when she first acknowledged to her mother a partiality for kenwigs mother she says i love him adore him i said uncle interposed mrs kenwigs love him i think my dear said the collector firmly perhaps you are right uncle replied mrs kenwigs submissively i thought it was adore love my dear retorted mr lillyvick mother she says i love him what do i hear cries her mother and instantly falls into strong convulsions a general exclamation of astonishment burst from the company into strong convulsions repeated mr lillyvick regarding them with a rigid look kenwigs will excuse my saying in the presence of friends that there was a very great objection to him on the ground he was beneath the family and would disgrace it you remember kenwigs certainly replied that gentleman in no way displeased at the reminiscence inasmuch as it proved beyond all doubt what a high family mrs kenwigs came of i shared in that feeling said mr lillyvick perhaps it was natural perhaps it wasn't a gentle murmur seemed to say that in one of mr lillyvick's station the objection was not only natural but highly praiseworthy i came round to him in time said mr lillyvick after they were married and there was no help for it i was one of the first to say that kenwigs must be taken notice of the family did take notice of him in consequence and on my representation and i am bound to say and proud to say that i have always found him a very honest well-behaved upright respectable sort of man kenwigs shake hands i am proud to do it sir said mr kenwigs so am i kenwigs rejoined mr lillyvick a very happy life i have led with your niece sir said kenwigs it would have been your own fault if you had not sir remarked mr lillyvick morlina kenwigs cried her mother at this crisis much affected kiss your dear uncle the young lady did as she was requested and the three other little girls were successively hoisted up to the collector's countenance and subjected to the same process which was afterwards repeated on them by the majority of those present oh dear mrs kenwigs said miss Patoka, while mr noggs is making that punch to drink happy returns in do let morlina go through that figure dance before mr lillyvick no no my dear replied mrs kenwigs it will only worry my uncle it can't worry him i am sure said miss Patoka. you will be very much pleased won't you sir that i am sure i shall replied the collector glancing at the punch mixer well then i'll tell you what said mrs kenwigs morlina shall do the steps if uncle can persuade miss Patoka to recite us the blood drinker's burial afterwards there was a great clapping of hands and stamping of feet at this proposition the subject whereof gently inclined her head several times in acknowledgment of the reception you know said miss Patoka reproachfully that i dislike doing anything professional in private parties oh but not here said mrs kenwigs we are all so very friendly and pleasant that you might as well be going through it in your own room besides the occasion i can't resist that interrupted miss Patoka. anything in my humble power i shall be delighted to do mrs kenwigs and miss Patoka had arranged a small programme of the entertainments between them of which there was a prescribed order but they had settled to have a little pressing on both sides because it looked more natural 
The company being all ready, Miss Patoka hummed a tune and Morlina danced a dance, having previously had the soles of her shoes chalk, with as much care as if she were going on the tightrope. It was a very beautiful figure, comprising a great deal of work for the arms, and was received with unabounded applause. If I was blessed with a, a child, said Miss Patoka, blushing, of such genius as that, I would have her out at the opera instantly. Mrs. Kenwigs sighed and looked at Mr. Kenwigs, who shook his head and observed that he was doubtful about it. Kenwigs is afraid, said Mrs. K. What of? inquired Miss Patoka. Not of her falling. Oh, no, replied Mrs. Kenwigs. But if she grew up what she is now, only think of the young dukes and marquises. Very right, said the collector. Still, submitted Miss Patoka, if she took a proper pride in herself, you know. There's a good deal in that, observed Mrs. Kenwigs, looking at her husband. I only know, faltered Miss Patoka, it may be no rule to be sure, but I have never found any inconvenience or unpleasantness of that sort. Mr. Kenwigs, with becoming gallantry, said that that settled the question at once, and that he would take the subject into his serious consideration. This being resolved upon, Miss Patoka was entreated to begin the blood-drinker's burial, to which end that young lady let down her back hair, and taking up her position at the other end of the room, with a bachelor friend posted in a corner, to rush out at the queue in death expire, and catch her in his arms when she died raving mad, and went through the performance with extraordinary spirit, and to the great terror of the little Kenwigses, who were all but frightened into fits. The ecstasies consequent upon the effort had not yet subsided, and Newman, who had not been thoroughly sober at so late an hour for a long time, had not yet been able to put in a word of announcement that the punch was ready, when a hasty knock was heard at the room door, which elicited a shriek from Mrs. Kenwigs, who immediately divined that the baby had fallen out of bed. "'Who is that?' demanded Mr. Kenwigs sharply. "'Don't be alarmed. It's only me,' said Crowl, looking in in his nightcap. "'The baby is very comfortable, for I peeped into the room as I came down, and it's fast asleep. And so is the girl, and I don't think the candle will set fire to the bed-curtain.' unless a draught was to get in the room. It's Mr. Noggs that I wanted. Me? cried Newman, much astonished. Why, it is a queer hour, isn't it? replied Crowell, who was not best pleased at the prospect of losing his fire. And they are queer-looking people, too, all covered with rain and mud. Shall I tell them to go away? No, said Newman, rising. People? How many? Two, rejoined Crowell. Want me? By name? asked Newman. "'By name,' replied Crowell, "'Mr. Newman Noggs, as pat as need be.' Newman reflected for a few seconds, and then hurried away, muttering that he would be back directly. He was as good as his word, for in an exceedingly short time he burst into the room, and seizing, without a word of apology or explanation, a lighted candle and a tumbler of hot punch from the table, darted away like a madman. "'What the deuce is the matter with him?' exclaimed Crowell, throwing the door open. Hark, is there any noise above? The guests rose in great confusion, and looking in each other's faces with much perplexity and some fear, stretched their necks forwards and listened attentively. End of chapter 14